All right, hey, welcome everybody. Welcome back to A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache. Uh, last week we had um, Debbie and Dennis on with us and they were sharing their story and we asked them so many questions. We didn't get to the main part of what we actually wanted to talk about, so we decided to break it up into two separate episodes. Um, but thanks everyone for coming on and listening. Dan, I know I just saw you five minutes ago, but for those that are listening, good to see you again, my brother. Likewise, <laughs> you, you all look the same. None of us yeah, have done laundry. Yeah. So, but because this is such an important episode, just like the last episode, and you guys are so full of wisdom, you have so much experience, and you've given so many people hope, we want to throw it right to you. So first off, I think I'm going to throw it to Debbie. I hear you're writing a book, and I'd love to hear some about what you're working on and uh, how you're going to be able to help even more people out now. Okay. Well, it's a book I probably have been needing to write for 30-some years, but it's like, okay, I'm dealing with procrastination, and the more we work with bereaved parents, uh, people in grief, period, would realize this is such a timely and time for a book such as this. And the working title is Lies Grief Tells You. And so far I have 10 lies, and we kind of talked about the first one, um, in the last episode, but the very first lie is I will always regret that I coulda, I woulda, I shoulda, that I wish, if only, those kind of things of regret. And the second one is, it's my fault. My child died or my loved one died. And while we think about that, it's like I didn't do enough. My sin is the reason my child died. I'm a bad person, and what kind of a parent lets their child die? Oh, that's a bad one. And my faith was not strong enough, or I'm not enough. And the third lie is I will never survive this. And basically the subtitle for that one is will it always hurt this bad? And the fourth lie is no one understands. I am all alone. And I think everyone who grieves just kind of feels isolated and they feel like they are the only one going through this grief and that no one can possibly understand. But as the reason for your podcast is to help uh, fathers see that, that you're not alone and there are other men, there are other fathers who understand the pain that you're going through. And then number five is God has abandoned me. Why God? Why? You know, there's questions that we all ask. And, and, and why didn't you stop my child from dying? Why did you let this happen? Um, and if you love me so much, why did you even let me be a part of this? Those kind of things that we just, we just assume that God has abandoned us. And number six is, I should be over it by now. And it's learning that, that grief is messy. And it's just as individual as your own personality. And while there, Kubler Ross talked about the five stages of grief. What what I'm I'm digging up in this this slide is that grief doesn't have to be chronological in those five stages. It could be it could be all messed up, and it's just, and, and and you're going to grieve the way you grieve because you are different from me, whether you're a man or a woman. Or it doesn't matter. Just because you have a different personality than me, you're going to grieve totally different. So grieve the way that 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 you know, your personality allows, and just 
go with it. And let's go to the more detail about that. I, I'm going to have her pause a minute because I want to say something about that too, is as a husband and as a wife, we, we grieve differently. And one of the most helpless situations I think you can feel as a spouse is she could not take my pain away. No matter what she did, there was no way she could take my pain away. There's no way I could take her pain away. And, and we had to be able to give each other the grace that Debbie probably at some points felt like he sure is taking a long, long time, but you have to give the other one the grace to grieve the way they grieve. No one grieves the same. And, and, and if you're not careful as a husband and wife, if you put unrealistic expectations upon each other, it will definitely have a, a detriment to your, to your marriage relationship because you'll be thinking, well, why is he not doing better than this? Or why is she not further along than this? You have to allow each one to take it as they're taking it and, and recognize their setbacks. Sometimes you might be moving forward and, and, and the other one thinks, boy, he's moving along really well right now. Or she's moving along really, really well right now. And all of a sudden something will just knock you flat and you'll think, oh no. So just be aware that everybody grieves differently and don't expect the other one. Don't ever say to your spouse, you should be over this by now because guess what? You're not going to be over this. You're going to learn to live with it, but you're not going to be over it. If that makes sense. I think, okay. yeah. Um, I think that's one of the most common things that comes up on the grief groups that I'm in. At least I think Chris is in most of the same ones that, uh, my marriage is failing after it. What do we do? And, um, yeah, I think what you just said is so important um, I know I've shared it before, and I think it, it for my marriage with Erica, it worked. Uh, we It was either day one or day two. Um, I don't know that we even had been home from the hospital for an hour, and we looked at each other and said divorce is not an option. Yep, and yep. We, we set that standard immediately. And as we were going through the time of grieving, uh, the biggest thing that I needed from Erica was to know that whatever emotional response she was having at that moment wasn't because of something I had done. I understand you're grieving Jameson and you're having all kinds of triggers and memories and flashbacks and all that. Did I say something, do something to help to hurt you or upset you? And as long as she told me, no, it's, it's the grief, then... I was able to step back, realize, okay, our marriage is fine. She had her space. She gave me my space. And we've we've really worked well together. I, I mean, I could say that. I hope she would say the same thing. Um, we've really worked well together as a team, picking up the slack of raising Reese, um, cleaning the house, everything. We And, yeah, because we don't place expectations and – our feelings and our desires on each other. I think that's yeah. enormous. And yeah, and I think what you said about looking at each other and saying divorce is not an option. Mm -hmm. That's that's extremely healthy because as we've worked in over the years with other bereaved parents and some of them choose to divorce. And to me, that that just makes life even sadder because we Debbie and I are the only two we came together and Ryan was a result of us coming together. We're the only ones that 
know Ryan and live with Ryan and, and have that common bond. So when a couple chooses to throw in on their marriage and say, well, I'm just going to go my separate way, then you've got that battle of another person won't know what it was like to have your child. Another person won't know what uh, the struggles you've had. So, so yeah, if, if you can look at your life and no matter how rough the marriage gets or how challenging it gets, if you can say divorce is not going to be an option for us with the passing of time and the pulling together and drawing into one another and drawing strength from one another, you'll be able to say, yep, I'm glad we stayed with it. And I, I would say here we are, almost 49 years of marriage and we and Ryan was only six years of that. So, I mean, when you think we, we we're so glad we stayed together. So you, mm-hmm. you, yeah, the divorce is not an option is a very, can be a very healthy, very uh, wise decision when a couple decides that in, in the throes of grief. Right. So, yeah. And we, and we've lost our child. We've lost enough. We don't need yeah. to lose yeah. our marriage as well. Fight. Yeah for that and it it is not easy and sometimes it's just downright hard but goodness we've suffered enough loss already don't compound it by letting your marriage fall apart yeah exactly Exactly. yeah yeah good point okay you had some more debbie all right debbie okay and lie number seven is i need a change and we share about our experience of of not following that rule and the pain that that we went through and particularly with our son and one thing that um, has been proven is that when you go through the death of a child or death of someone close to you, is you know that 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 scale that they have the what is it called? Um, Holmes Rahi. Holmes Rahi life stress inventory. The death of a child, the death of a loved one, is the highest stress point ever. And so when you're under so much stress. The last thing you really have the mental and emotional capability and even the physical capability of doing is making a major change. So it's really important to to understand that you need at least, if at all possible, six months, but a year is even better before making a major, major change. And it gives tips on how to, um, if if it has to be done, how to follow through on that. And then I'm working on this one, and I really would like input and and um, maybe feedback from your listeners later on, but the lie that I cannot forgive, and this has been the most difficult chapter for me to write because it's it's a lot like grief in that while grief is a process, so is forgiveness, right? Like um, I will never forgive the doctor who misdiagnosed and prescribed the wrong medication for my loved one. I, the drug dealer who sold the drugs, the person who murdered my child, the drunk driver, the gun shop owner, um, the friend who wasn't available. I can't forgive myself for, you know, because that goes back to number one, the regret. And so this one is really a hard one. And why is it a lie? It's a lie because we realize that we forgive, we must forgive, because forgiveness is something that we do for the person who wronged us. It's something we do for us. If we want to heal, if we want to get over, we're never going to get over grief, but if we want to heal from our loss, we will We will eventually get to the point where we know that we need to forgive. But this has been the hardest one to write so far. And so I'll come back to this one. But number nine is children are more resilient in their grief. Hmm. 
And we're, we uh, even asked our son, would you please share your story? Because he has never talked about his grief. And we're talking 37 years ago. <laughs> and he's in his 40s now. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to have to think on that one, Mom, because it, it's still really deep for him. And the last one is, what good could possibly come from this? So any input from your listeners that lies that you believe in your early stages of grief. And so Dennis and I are on this side of grief. We're not in the early stages, but we I, we believed every one of these lies. And I can still remember on the forgiveness that we had gone through a marriage course, probably year 15 in our marriage. Probably. And we were, uh, he was going to had an assignment in San Antonio. We were going through a marriage course and the lesson was on forgiveness. And part of it was to go to get together as a couple and pray about things that you need to forgive. And so we were together and immediately both of us, as I was like, we unanimously said it at the same time, began to list all these people that we had unforgiveness about regarding our son, Ryan. So it was like so amazing that all those years later, we still, we had unforgiveness about people who, or maybe doctors, bosses, neighbors, and we would just say, they were just coming out of our mouths just that quick. So um, we realized forgiveness is very, very important in the healing process of grief. So any input from you guys, I would love to hear what, what some of the lies that you believed. Every single one of them, yeah. <laughs> Every single one of them. Yeah. Okay. That's the way it feels now. I mean, you know, being just two years in, I think a lot of those really hit close to home and heart. And, uh, I think I'm going to reflect on some of them and send you some info, Debbie, just from mine and Amanda on what we've been going through for sure. Good. Yeah, it sounds like I, I, I'm not struggling with the forgiveness because Jameson's death was so quick. Um, and as we learned what took him, um, I, I don't think there was anything that anybody could have done, and there was no way that we realistically could have known. Um, but I know so many people do struggle with that. Um, and listening to you talk, Debbie, it seems like it would be so powerful and healing to make that list, do a post-it note for every person that you're struggling to forgive. I, I don't have any experience, so I'm speaking ignorantly here. But yeah, that just struck me as something that would be very helpful to do. I would just say that I, I think it it is a thing that we struggle in our family with right now. Mason, you know, we were not happy with the, the treatment of Mason and the diagnosis of one pediatrician compared to neurologist. And it's, it's led to some, some great heartache in our family, to be honest, of um, that forgiveness. And I think I've come to the point where I am at that point where I, I, I don't know if I forgive them, but I understand their logic. Um, but my wife is not there, and I don't know when she'll be there. But she's very, very angry at both doctors, to be honest. And... Uh, you know, we have talked about it often and for sure about it. Yeah, um, yeah. That's probably one of the, the hardest discussions we actually have is placing that blame on those doctors and, and their decision making. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I just always think like they're humans and they did the best they could with the info they had. But um, 
but this is my son you mess with. Yeah. Yeah. You, practice, you practice medicine on. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I think, too, though, it's very important that, and, and everybody will move into that with the passing of time and all of that, is eventually uh, I find that if I allow unforgiveness to continue to be in my life, it actually is like uh, some people talk about unforgiveness being that you you are the one actually drinking the poison and you're hoping the other person will die. But guess what? That's The other person doesn't die that you're choosing to not forgive. You're the one that's literally beginning to die. Whether it's not die literally, but die in your spirit and die about life. So, But I think with particularly with bereaved parents or anybody uh, being bereaved, everybody's going to move in their own space and you don't you don't tell you you don't tell amanda well you you need to be over this no when when she's able to process and when she uh, when each one of us recognizes well if i keep carrying this unforgiveness it just gets heavier and heavier eventually we might be able to say you know what i'm going to release this yes i don't want i i'm very sad about what happened it should have been handled differently but at some point you'll just realize I'm not going to let this continue to rob me of life and destroy me. So, but until you get there, I mean, we, yeah. when we sat down and going through that course, I mean, it was just like people, like they just, at the you, same time, at the same time. The, and I mean, and it, because pe- people, some people don't mean to hurt us when we're grieving. Now, some people, they're just downright rude. Okay. Don't, don't, don't excuse rude, callous behavior because some people operate that way and, and, and it's inappropriate. But some people innocently might have said something or, or failed to come through or said, I'm going to pick up your son and do something special with him and didn't come through. Those kind of things you begin to recognize, I can't let them destroy me. But forgiveness is a process. And, and I just encourage people, you, you, you forgive as you're able to forgive. And, and I find in forgiveness sometimes what happens, too, is I, if I go before uh, God and say, I'm forgiving, I'm forgiving this, there's other times when somehow it'll come back to your memory and you'll think, hmm, and I just, I just choose to say, I distinctly remember forgiving that, okay? So, so when you want to get hounded in your mind, because you've got enough going on with your mind trying to really attack you in every way it can, so I'll just say, well, I distinctly remember forgiving that. I'm not going to give it any more energy, any more time. But forgiveness is a process, and everybody forgives at their own speed or their own pace. And so, and, and again, when you get so uncomfortable with being unwilling to forgive and you start being bitter in life, you'll probably begin to say, hmm, this is not paying off the way I want it to pay off. So, but everybody moves at their own stage, if that makes sense definitely does yeah uh, debbie book sounds amazing uh i know you're still working on it you got a goal of when you want it to be done by so i can, <laughs> so I can get the first copy i know well yeah chris and i are gonna fight for the first copy yeah. <laughs> she, she she'd love to have it done i think in the, in, at the, end, the end of the year. year but then i got i um yeah. i just want to write it and give it to somebody let them take care of this public uh, publishing and uh publicity and all that stuff but i don't i don't know so we'll see yeah uh, yeah and i think too for debbie i think debbie has known for many many years this was a book that she was supposed to write yes but i think (laughs) the pain that has come out of writing this book and the 
the the bringing up of everything with Ryan has been so painful that one way to avoid pain is not not, not to go there, okay? And and that's unfortunate. That's what happens with a lot of people. They stuff their grief, mm-hmm. and the reality is, you're going to either deal with your grief as it's occurring, or you're going to stuff it, and later in life it's going to come back and it's going to bite you big time. So uh, I encourage people uh, deal with grief the very as it's occurring as the the best you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, I mean, all ten of those lives are fantastic, and and you can probably write. 25 books with each one with 10 different lies. Um, and, there's, and there's probably many more lies than that. Yes. Just, that's just the 10 that kind of stood out for them. Yeah. yeah. But I. There's going to be one more, but you know, I'm such a perfectionist. That's one of the reasons I've written two. Is I don't think I'm going to uneven number. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't have 11. I got to hey, have 12. No. But you know, with the last right. part of the book is going right. to be the very last chapter will be about what, how to help someone who's grieving. Those six things, those six, those six points. Yeah, those, yeah the, the, re- the reason she wants it to be 10 is because she's been watching too much of Monk. If you've ever watched the show Monk, Monk. and how obsessive compulsive he is. We, we, sometimes Love we just show. need to watch a Monk because he's just funny and it's, <laughs> it's clean and it's like he's so obsessive. And so I think she doesn't want it to be... Uh, uh, an uneven number. No, it's just 11, 11 lies. Just doesn't sound like 10 yeah. lies. Yeah. I can certainly relate to that, Debbie. Yeah. Um, but I think for for this discussion tonight, I keep looking at lie number 10. What good could possibly come from this? And again, your story, the fact that you are on here now for the third episode, um, talk at 37 years in, talking to all of us who are so fresh on our journey, um, we would give nothing. We would give everything to have our sons back in an instant. But this is the hand that we were dealt. And I shared in an episode a while ago of, um, I was listening to Jason Williams, the Duke basketball player, NBA player, that he ruined his career riding a motorcycle, speeding down the highway and crashed it. And it was in his contract. He wasn't supposed to be on it. He was totally at fault, and he he went through the woe is me that, Debbie, you mentioned earlier, and he went through all of that, and then he changed his mindset to, okay, this is awful, but why not me? And that hit me so hard that, yeah, this is awful, and I hate it, and I would trade it in an instant, but it's the hand I was dealt, so, yeah, what, what good can we force out of it, and we're tr- Chris and I are trying with this podcast and some and other doing a great exactly, job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, you know, we, as we share with our pastor and then we referred in the last episode to seeing us on, uh, uh, being interviewed by our pastor about grieving. And, you know, we want God to restore what we lost. But what he does, how does he bring good how, out of bad, out of what's happened to us? He chooses to restore our lives for a greater and better good that, you know, we can't see the whole puzzle. We can't see the whole masterpiece. He does that. So who would ever say that all these years later that we would be encouraging people who are grieving? And, I mean, I have often told the Lord, couldn't you have chosen somebody else? Yeah. Why, why, why us? I mean, but then, like yeah. you said, why not us? Yeah. Why not us? So Right. He chooses to restore 
but he doesn't restore. He mm. just chooses to restore our lives. Right. Well, wonderful. Debbie, is there anything else about your book that you want to share? No. Uh, it's, it's, as Dennis said, there have been times I've been sharing the story and I would just stop and I have to cry and I just have to have my, just let grief have its, have its way. And in one of the descriptions in the book that I talk about, it's like an ocean, grief is like an ocean wave. And, you know, those who are boogie boarders or surfers, they, they tend to go out further out in the ocean where it's a little bit more calmer. But, when, but every once in a while, that wave will catch them by surprise, and they try to fight themselves, try to fight the wave, and they just keep sinking and, and drinking in water and everything. That's the way grief is. But the experienced surfers just give, give, you know, they just give in to the wave. They just they ride with it, and they just let the wave just crash over them until they're able to come back up again. So that's the way grief is. It's just... We just need to roll with, with the grief when it comes and to encourage all of you that it is not, it will not always hurt this bad. And, and I think that's probably one of my main goals in the book is to be able to help parents understand or that anyone who's grieving because the loss is a loss, but, you know, having a child die, as far as I'm concerned, that's the worst thing ever because the worst has happened. I can handle anything. So even cry hiking the mountain that we did today so um just allow grief just allow grief to have its work and it that's the only way you're going to heal is to allow yourself to grieve as painful as it is you will get better it will always hurt this bad and i think that goes back to something else you were talking about earlier of about men and um yeah people go directly to the mothers a lot of the time and we as men have, cre we at least have a significant amount of the blame because we do hide our emotions so much. And um, what you just said is beautiful. And to the, the men who are listening, to everybody on the show who's listening, but to the men who are listening, yeah, let grief have its way. Um, it's okay. And it's easy to sit here and say that. I, I do the same thing. Pride kicks in, whatever. Um, but I have, as you all said earlier, I've had some ugly cries. And it is. It's cleansing and refreshing. And I wouldn't say it's healing, but it it's cleansing and refreshing. And so mm -hmm. men, it, men, do it. Let it mm -hmm. be. So, all right. Well, Dent, oh, Chris, go ahead. Nope. I was just going to say I was going to throw it right over to Dennis now. And uh, so, Dennis, uh, Dan and I heard uh, you talking at, uh, I'm not sure if it was your your church or if it was a church you were visiting, but. Uh, it, it, it was our church. Yeah. Okay. And it was just uh, the way, I'm just going to throw it right to you. I'm, I, there's no way I can even explain it. So. Okay. All right. <laughs> you, well, you'll see it much more eloquently than I could. We, so, I'm going to throw we, it right to you. Uh, well, actually, what had happened was our, our pastor had been doing a real good series about when, uh, like, uh, impossible things happen and, and, and you when get losses or what you lose has been found. Yeah, what you lose has been found. And somebody happened to text him and said, well, what do you do 
when what you has has lost is not found and not he got restored. And he, he got into thinking and he so he said okay well so he ended up speaking on when when your loss is not restored and so he asked debbie and i would we be interviewed to talk about grief and particularly the grief of having a child die and i thought it was very wise of him because for many people here that are particularly people listening to this this presentation you were listening because you've had something very significant to you lost and it was not restored and so uh, part of life is recognizing there are times when like debbie alluded to uh, things are not restored but our our we can be restored storied in other words we can have another story we all have a story different than what we thought we were going to have we thought we'd have two sons grow up and get married you thought you'd have your son grow up uh, both of you thought you you'd have your sons grow up they'd get married they'd have grandchildren all those kind of things which we know is not going to happen so so when those kind of things happen you you look to see the the, the, the new story and there is a new story but I, I what pastor asked us was dennis what would you uh suggest to people that are working with people living with people loving people that are are grieving and the first one was this the ministry of presence show up and shut up so many times people want to be comforting and so they'll say a lot of things and unfortunately sometimes the things they stay say can be stupid like, like god needed another rose yeah, in his garden yeah god needed another rose in his rose garden oh, he well, needed an angel oh he needed an angel your <laughs> son's an angel bullcrap that's not true if god didn't god, god didn't take my son to be an angel or he didn't need a rosebud so people don't know what to say so they say things that are not very smart and so sometimes what, what we need for people to do is just come around us, hug us, keep your mouth shut, just hug people that are grieving and don't say anything. Don't say it's going to be okay. Don't, I mean, some people have been crazy enough to say, particularly to younger parents, well, at least you can have other children. Yeah, I don't so care bad. how many yeah. other children I have, they would never, ever replace Ryan. It's not possible. So, so really the first point is just show up, show up and shut up. Okay. And then some people will, uh, will don't say, let me know if you need anything. Uh, no, I don't know what I need right now. I, I, my son's just died. I'm, I'm, I'm in the throes of, I don't know what's going on. So don't say if you need anything, of course I need some things. I need things like, won't you bring some food? If there's small children or other children that need help assist with those children assist with if the grass needs cutting uh, things, practical things yeah practical things in other words but don't be uh just guilty of saying if you need anything we don't know what we need right now what we really need we just need to live through the next minute we're just we're just hoping to live through the next minute so when you say uh let me know if you need anything no uh we need lots of things we just need you to to be willing to, to do some of those things. The next one is don't be afraid to mention the loved one's name and ask if there's anything you would like to share about that loved one. I love it even this many years later, if somebody will ask about Ryan or what kind of kid was he 
or all of those kind of things, I love it. So don't be afraid of mentioning the loved one's name. It, it's not like we've forgotten who the loved one is, all right? I mean, we're never going to forget our kid's name. We're never going to forget what they were like. So, so don't be afraid to bring up the loved one's name. And in fact, many of us love it when you bring up our child's name. So uh, that's, that's another one. Uh, and then be a true two o'clock in the morning friend. Don't, don't say I'm here whenever you need me, whatever time you need me, whatever, and not do that. If, if, if uh, there's most of us have two or three people that we would consider two o'clock in the morning friends that if I would call them at two o'clock in the morning and need to talk to them or need them to come over, they would genuinely, genuinely do that. So we, we need some two o'clock in the morning friends. And, but don't say you're going to be a two o'clock in the morning friend if you're going to let the phone ring and not answer it. Be a true two o'clock in the morning friend. And then, uh, you know, when somebody dies, you, you are overwhelmed with people. They're, they're here. They're, they're for the first week or two. It's like they're coming through the door. They're bringing food. They're doing all that. We need people who will be there when everybody else has gone home. When you go back home, and you get back to that base and you buried your son in North Carolina or in another state and you go back and you go to a home where there were two sons. Now there's only one son and this one son and a husband and a wife and nobody's there. We need somebody to be there when you come home to that empty house. You come home to that empty bedroom. You come home to the what what will never be again. So in other words, uh, be be there when everyone else goes home and and just be there again you don't need to be doing a lot of things saying a lot of words just be there and then something that i i try to do uh, as much as possible is remember their birth dates and their death dates okay the fact that you don't mention ryan's name that he died on december the 10th many many years ago to me, it, it says, well, do you realize this kid existed? Do you realize that he was born? Do you realize that he died? So do you think I'm going to forget that? So please mention his name. Talk about what kind of kid he was. In other words, people think, I think they think sometimes, well, if I mention the name, it's going to cause them pain. Oh, no. It, it may cause some pain, but it also causes some joy that you happen to remember that we had a little boy who lived to be six years of age, who was mischievous, full of life, love life, and, and we're never going to forget him. And so uh, we don't want you to forget him. So, uh, and I mean, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, some people that can be the very worst at this are family members. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They feel like, well, if I, if I mention his name, Dennis or Debbie's going to get real sad or they're going to get upset. No, in some ways, I get angry or I get really hurt that you forgot you had a cousin named Ryan or you had a nephew named Ryan or you had uh, someone that's close in your or a friend and somehow you just forget. Nope, we're not going to forget. So bring up the death date. Bring, uh, and I mean, it, you don't bring it up. I mean, like I usually try to text them or, or call them and say, I'm thinking of you today. I, because guess what? Every birth date and every death date, I believe, of our children, we're never going to forget it as Shared long as we, as long as we have a memory yes. and it, no matter whether it's been one year, 10 years, 37 years, 
you going I'm gonna always remember that on June 28th, a little boy named Ryan was born, and I'm gonna always remember that on December the 10th, 1985, a little boy named Ryan died. So I'm not gonna forget it. So I would encourage people, don't forget it. It, it means a lot to us. So so they were some of the suggestions that I shared with with my pastor in that service. And and I, and I do think they're very practical suggestions. And the big thing about it is it doesn't take money and it doesn't take a whole lot of time. It just says, I care, I'm, I'm sorry. And again, you don't say a lot of words, I care, I'm sorry. And so they just, I, I hope they're helpful for, for people. And, and hopefully those that are going through the bereavement process, they can use some of these suggestions to, to maybe work with friends and family members and say, this is what I need from you. And if that's what they need, it helps a lot in the process of, of processing that grief. That, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, those are great, great practical advice. Um, yeah, I, I thought about every single one of those. And uh, I think the one right now that Amanda and I, I think, struggle with the most is you think about those first two weeks and how many people were there to help you and how we're right at our two-year mark now. And you almost feel like people have just completely forgotten and mm -hmm. don't realize literally the pain and struggle every day we still go through yep. and uh you kind of feel like i'm not like you're on an island alone again yep. uh, with all the pains so yeah those are all amazing amazing advice yep. and, which, which unfortunately adds to that pain it takes pain that's very deep and it makes that pain even deeper because what do you mean you forgot your nephew uh, i mean it's it, yeah it's just it's yeah it's 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 definitely uh, and I think part of it is too, people want to go on with life. They, they want to live their life. They don't want to get caught in that, that bind of, oh my goodness, they had a child die. So they get caught in, we got to move on from this. Well, people, for uh, read parents are never going to move on from it. We're going to live it and we're going to love again and we're going to laugh again, but we'll never move on from the fact, the reality that we had a child die. And I was thinking just as today that in the early, I remember in the early stages, feeling like I was on a merry-go-round in a carousel in the amusement park and that I had been thrown off and everybody I knew was still on that merry-go-round. And it just seemed to me that I just remember the early throes of, of grief were like everything was in slow motion, but it was as if the world had stopped but yet everybody else was just still going on with their lives. And I was just like, can't you just stop and grieve with us for a while? So I don't know if I'm the only one that thinks thought that way, but it, it, I just remember how, 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 it, how it just felt in the beginning that it was just, it, it just, it just was, it just seemed unreal that people would keep going and going and living their busy lives while I was over there in the corner, thrown off of the carousel and the merry-go-round. And it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all alone here. Come help me. So. And, and I think an added stressor or pressure for grief is sometimes that we, we do have to educate people because they don't know what to do. I mean, they, they don't know how to, uh, to stop with you and walk with you. And so I think a part of it is an education process. And also, that's a great opportunity to practice forgiveness because sometimes you'd really like to tell people, I'd like to tell you what I think about how you're working in this process with us right now. 
and but instead you just you say okay i'm going to choose to to forgive so uh, but so hope that helps yeah i think um the one thing i want to talk about because i i think everything you said is absolutely spot on perfect um the education process i think is huge i just went through that with jameson's birthday last september i Eric and I did not hear from many people and we went we went through all the feelings that you all just shared and it hurt it hurt really badly and I talked to maybe five or ten of the people closest to me and shared how much it hurt and they were so apologetic and they were hurt themselves um but every one of them has done better since then, acknowledging his birthday and things like that. So um, the, the point I want to make is that if, if you're somebody that's close to one of us who's grieving, don't take offense when we educate you. Um, it's not generally, it's not coming from a bad place of anger. It's coming from a deep place of hurt. And our our attempts to educate you are cries for help from people who we love dearly. Yeah, good, I don't, good point. I don't try to educate 99% of the people I see every day. Um, but those 5 to 10 people who are in my close circle, yeah, I want to educate you because yeah. I love you and I care about you. And you're the people I want close to me because I know that you will get it as well as anybody possibly could. Good. That's that's excellent. Yep. 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 100%. Number seven. Yes. <laughs> Number seven. Wait, I'm counting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, Debbie and Dennis, any, I think we're getting kind of close to the end. And is there any last minute advice you'd love to throw out there for anyone listening today that we haven't talked about yet? I think I'd like to say, uh, is, and it can be very difficult, but as much as possible, don't allow anger to get the upper hand in your life because anger becomes very destructive, both to you personally and to other people. Uh, other people run from you many times when you're angry. Uh, they don't know what to do. So I think for me, there were times that I was so angry that that our son died. Uh, and uh, and so I think you just, I, fortunately, I, I don't have that now at, at this point in time. But if you find yourself angry, what what's, it, what's underneath that anger? Because most of the time when we find ourselves angry, that's the truth. It's not really anger. It's something Deeper. other than anger. And Deeper. many times for those of us that are bereaved, it's just I'm so sad. I'm just so destroyed that my child died. And, and so go with what's going on there with the sadness versus, well, I'm mad at the world because my son died or I'm mad. I'm angry about this and the driver and all of that. If you can get to what really is there, many times it's just sometimes you just need to have a real good cry you just have need to have a real good cry and it can be extremely helpful so uh that's i think that's my last bit of advice is uh let let don't let anger destroy you because unfortunately anger can destroy you it can destroy relationships and 
our sons, our children would never want us to allow those kind of things to happen. So that's that. That would be my last advice. Okay. You done? Mm -hmm. Okay. Debbie, anything you want to throw out there? I think I'm done, unless you have a question. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> no, I don't think so, Dan. No, I think Debbie and Dennis, thank you so much. Um, when I heard you speak. Again, I saw Dennis your post, and I listened to that sermon where you two were called up on stage, and I, I wrote to Chris immediately and told, like, dude, you need to listen to this. And then um, the wisdom that you two have, and the the again the hope that you give those of us who are much newer on our journey, um, I I cannot thank you enough just personally, uh, what, what you do for me. Um, it, it means the world. You two are amazing, special people. And thank you for sharing your story and your, your wisdom and your tips and everything with everybody who's willing to listen. Um, it means the world. I know I'll, I'll speak for Chris here. It means the world to us that you would come back again and again, and just keep talking with us and to everybody who's listening. Thank you. Glad to do it anytime. Mm -hmm. So good. Okay. So with that, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Um, I think these two last two episodes with Debbie and Dennis Jordan have been just amazing. Uh, we hope that you 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 learned some valuable tips from it, and. Uh, what a great way Chris and I are going to wrap up season two of our podcast next week, just kind of reviewing everything, but what a perfect way to end to have Debbie and Dennis on here. So thank you all for listening to a father's love healing through heartache.